It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD and your emails, radio at agphd.com. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian, and Fridays are super fun because we get to dive into lots of questions. And Brian, we've already got a bunch that have come in that we haven't got to yet. Yeah, we have. I I mean, we have been, both Darren and I have been out meeting with farmers here over the last few weeks, just talking a lot about what's going on as we head into 2024. We are super excited, quite frankly, every year just because we have the opportunity to farm. And I just want you to think about this today. If you say, well, I don't know, I'm not real excited about 24, and yeah, times are getting a little tougher, and commodity prices are down a little bit. Look, you can look on the negative side anytime, any day. But I often think about, let's say you were in almost any country in the world other than where you are at right now. If you're in North America, you have tremendous opportunity. Go to some third world country. And see how much opportunity they have. I mean, a lot of these people are just trying to live today. They just want to eat today. Um, Things could be a heck of a lot worse. So be excited for 2024. There is opportunity out there. But you, you just want to make sure that you're staying on top of things. And so a lot of these questions that we've been getting in deal with exactly that. So let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, let's start with the soil test here. This came in from Chris over in Ohio. He said, uh, I was listening to your podcast, and you said contact you with questions, so I'm sending you a soil test. Hey, thanks, Chris. We we meant it. When we said send your questions in, we'd be happy to help. Uh, he said, all right, guys, a little bit on this field. Uh, I've been going corn and soybeans in rotation here. This field is ditched systematically every 40 feet. Is there anything that sticks out on this test? What would you address? All right. Well, first of all, when I look at the cation exchange capacity, it's only 11 to 15. That's medium textured ground. So I'm wondering why the ditches. I, I mean, I like subsurface drainage. It's one thing to take care of surface drainage. I was just talking to a farmer about this yesterday, and he was big on the, the whole surface drainage thing. And I said, well, look, surface drainage doesn't solve your below ground problems. Can it help a little bit? Of course it can. But we got to have capacity for our roots to grow. I mean, we, you want the water table down to, say, two and a half, three feet, so you have plenty of air in the soil, not just for your roots, but for all your beneficial soil microbes. So anyway, um, when I look at this soil test, I, I guess that's the first thing that stands out to me is, hey, it's medium textured ground. So when he talks about all these ditches, I'm going, why do why do we need the ditches? I'm that that's that's my biggest question. If it's me, I'm usually putting in tile. Okay, beyond that, we're we're usually focused on the big nutrients to begin with. So P and K and both of those are low. Uh, phosphorus level on a Malik 3 test, we got a lot of tens and twenties. Um, it needs to be closer to fifty to hundred. So, I mean, that's probably the first thing that I'm addressing. The second thing I'm addressing is there are a lot of areas where the potassium is real low, like 100 parts per million, that, that you're not going to be happy with that. Not only is the base saturation low, um, so you're well below 4% base saturation K, but when you're at 100, 130 parts per million of potassium, it's just flat out not enough. So get the P and K out there. You do those two things, that's going to help you more than anything. But then beyond that, 
Um, and by the way, I, I don't have levels on iron and copper here, which we would like to see. But when I start looking at some of the secondary and micronutrients, anytime you've got medium to light textured soil, you're going to have to focus on those leachables all the time and probably two to three times a year. So I mean nitrate, sulfate, boron, and those are going to be low now. They're going to be low always probably unless you are constantly addressing them. So I, I assume that's not news to you. The last thing is just simply the zinc level, where a lot of times we would like that 10 to 1 phosphorus to zinc. So if you get your phosphorus level even up to 50, I'd say that's a bare minimum. I'd like to be at 100, but even if you're at 50, that means you need to be at 5 parts per million on zinc and you're at 1. So got a few things to address there, but I mean the good news here is your soil certainly does not look bad. It looks to me like you've got potential and you just address a few of those nutrients and you'll be in good shape. All right, Brian, get your calculator ready. Uh, you might do this in your head, but having a calculator is always handy. With this well, I'm question. a math genius, but, you know, go This ahead. question from Alan in Nebraska. <laughs> he said, hey, guys, I was wondering about trying ammonium sulfate in the spring on a few acres instead of using anhydrous like I normally do. My question is, how does this math work out? Would 400 pounds of AMS be about equivalent to 100 pounds of anhydrous, or how does that work? Yes. And if I was to put 400... Wait, stop, stop. Okay, so the math is 21% nitrogen. So if you figure 400 pounds times 0.21, that is going to be 84. And hydrous ammonia is 82.5% nitrogen, so that'd be 82.5. So you're almost identical. Go ahead. Okay. Then he said, if I oh, do hey, that... sorry, one more thing. The placement does matter. I was talking to a farmer about this yesterday, and I said, the nice thing with anhydrous, now you've got it down in the ground. With the ammonium sulfate, if you lay it on the soil surface, now you have to have rain to get it down. Well, if you don't have the right rain or you have erosion or leaching, that could be a problem. Go ahead. All right. He said, so uh, if I put on 400 pounds of yep. ammonium sulfate, my soil sample says I currently have 37 parts per million of sulfur in the area where I have tested here, and I'm going to put this on. So if I put on 400 pounds of AMS, am I overdoing the sulfur? Will that create any problems? It's not going to create any problems, but yes, you're putting on more than you need, most likely, uh, because ammonium sulfate is 210024, so you're getting roughly 100 pounds of sulfate. Now, that I know it's a little confusing. It said, well, anyway, let, let's put it this way. You add another 100 pounds. Is that necessary when you've already got 37 parts per million out there? Probably not. It's possible you may see some gain from that. It's also possible we have some excesses in that soil we need to flush out. And so in that case, maybe we would like to have that extra 100 pounds of sulfate that we may or may not need. I can't answer that question without seeing the soil test, though. Yeah, it's a great start, and, and uh, kudos to you for looking at, hey, maybe there's a different way of doing things that might be even better. And here's the other thing. I'm going to try it out on a small scale. I love that. Whenever you're trying something new, making major changes, try them out on a small scale, see what the yields are like, run some soil tests and so forth, and see the impacts on your operation. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarland Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer. Join us in Houston for the 2024 Commodity Classic, New Frontiers in Agriculture. We'll close out the show on Saturday at the Houston Rodeo, the world's largest rodeo and livestock exhibition. Join us February 28th through March 2nd. Learn more at CommodityClassic.com. 
The greatest herbicide of all time earned its title by defending your soybean fields. Authority Supreme Herbicide's low-use rate formula delivers longer-lasting control of broadleaf weeds and grasses, providing you with the best-in-class combination of Group 14 PPO herbicide sulfentrazone and Class 15 molecule pyroxysulfone that outlasts the competition. We're Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC, and we play to win. Learn more at authoritysupreme.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Get the most from every acre on your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, a soils clinic, and a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Register today at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. back you're listening to ag phd radio and it is a farmer friday that means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show you can call us at 844-44-AG-PHD and just talk to us interact with us we love that because then we can have a little bit of a back and forth uh, if we have some questions about about what your question is and, and need a little further explanation you can also just send us an email if you're more comfortable with that Radio at agphd.com is our address. And uh, we do get a lot of emails that come in. It's a great way if you've got kind of a detailed question or if you've got a soil test or a picture that you want us to look at. Uh, it just happened to be out and about yesterday. And and uh, I had a guy say, hey, uh, can you take a look at this weed? And I was like, what? You've got a weed to identify? And he goes, yeah, it's taken over my tree groves. And I got some in the back of my pickup and it was, it was a thorny weed. And he goes, man, this thing is really tough. And you just never know when those questions are going to pop up. And I love having Farmer Friday. If you're a regular listener, you know, I know I can get in on Friday for sure, but you can call us anytime. We don't just wait for Fridays to take your questions. I mean, today, yes, we don't have any agenda today. There isn't a topic that we're discussing. We're just diving right into questions the whole time. So if you got a question, let us know. Had this one come in from Robert Brian. He said, I've got a quick question about organic matter. Is there something such as this where microbes in the soil will break down organic matter faster than I can grow it? It seems like this is the problem I've got in some fields yes. because while they do well, it seems difficult to build my organic matter levels, even in no-till with an aggressive rotation to high residue crops. Yep. Um, it, it's certainly possible. now, I'll Especially just say, further south. Now, Robert well, is uh, in South Dakota. I, I don't know. In South Dakota, we've got a lot of months okay. here where we don't have very much heat and much microbial activity. Uh, yeah, but here, here's, here's the thing. If you inject air into that soil, so in other words, tillage, then you're going to speed up that microbial breakdown and you're breaking it down with the tillage in part as well. So 
it just depends on how you want to do this, but I'll say if you want to build organic matter the best and the fastest, you go no-till. You have something living on that ground as much of the year as possible. And then you want to plant high residue crops and high crops with lots of roots like corn which, and then use manure or compost. Which is what he's doing. He's going no-till and he's got a, a rotation with high residue crops. So, yeah, you, if you're having a crop growing pretty yeah. much every month where something will grow out there, Izzy, that's though. very helpful. Is he, though? Yeah, that's a great question. We don't I, have I don't, we don't have all the details, and we also haven't seen the soil tests. We haven't seen the soil tests over the years, and I mean, maybe there are some other tips. So, if you send us some soil tests from now, from before, but I'll say this, especially for a, a, a lot of the soil tests we get in, it's very common where we get one test in a field, and then five years later, somebody will give us one test in a field, and they say, "Wow, the looks like the organic matter level is down." Well, were you in the same spot? Well, I think so. Were you? Is it GPS marked? Are we sure? And so this is where we talk about with technology today, when we have GPS points, that's awesome. So now we can go right back to the exact same spot we were at a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So now we can really track it. So if you're no-till and you've been raising a lot of, let's say it's continuous corn, and there's something growing on that ground from the minute the frost comes out until the ground freezes up in the fall, and you're doing all that, and let's say using a little manure or compost, and you're still not building organic matter in South Dakota, I'd say that's unbelievably unusual. All right. Thanks for the question, Robert. And if you got any follow-up for us, uh, please send it in, you know, with soil tests or whatever. We'd be happy to look and, and maybe a little more explanation about what your crop rotation is. Yeah. Uh, real happy right now to have Charles with us. He's farms down in Kansas, multi-generational farm. How you doing, Charles? Oh, we're doing good. How are you guys? Pretty good. Pretty good. You know, uh, I, I think about, we were talking about building organic matter there, and I, I look at our farm being a fourth-generation farmer, uh, it, man, what a what a great foundation those previous generations laid for us, and I, I'm certain you're trying to do that for the next generation on your farm as well. Oh, we have. Uh, we've been uh, in no-till, uh, working in no-till system for about 28 years, and uh, when we started, our organic matter was sitting at one, and uh, we got her up to four right now when you're talking organic matter. So it's taken a lot of years, but uh, man, it really has changed the chemistry of the soil and and the health, and just like you guys were talking, we try to keep something growing 24-7, 365. So it's uh, it's tough. It has its challenges, but, boy, when we hit the mark, it's good. You know, I, I know that just from previous conversations, you got quite a few different crops that you grow, so you got a really nice rotation going. Uh, what do you do when you've got a, a short season? Are you putting covers out there, or are you finding a way to get some hay or something off the, the acres with that extra month or two of growing season? Yeah, we, we kind of go two different directions with our cover crop, and we've got that short season in there that uh, because we are double crop beans as well. But uh, when we have the chance, like right now, we got 120 acres of uh, cereal rye and some brassicas laid down. And we're, our main plan on that is to uh, use it as cover. But if it kicks off some weather's right and everything's like that, we put 40 pounds of in on it just to give it a kick and uh, we're a little short on hay because of the drought we've had, so uh, we may have to drop in there and pull a hay crop off of it if we need to. So, uh, gives us a gives us some options going into the spring. Yeah, yeah, good to have options, no doubt about that. And like you say, this drought has been something. Uh, when when you look at livestock in your area, what are guys doing at this point? Is there a lot of hay coming into the area that you're forced to buy elsewhere? Is livestock leaving the area? Uh, what's changing? 
Well, as as any time you get a drought come in, you've always got some people that are going to, you know, that they're going to do a little sell-off and do some calling. Uh, but we've got some hay that's coming in. Uh, I know we've got guys, uh, you know, just uh, just asking. I know uh, with the drought, we had a lot. We saw a lot of neighbors that had soybeans that uh, they went up for hay, and uh, the uh, feedlots grabbed some of that. So, um, yeah, there's just a lot of lot of hay moving right now, and I really couldn't tell you where all it's coming in from, but. Um, they're stockpiling and, and we're, they're hope they're preparing for the winter that we hope we get that has some moisture and gets this thing broke. You mentioned using soybeans for hay and I know you have done and are continuing to do a lot of work with the soybean association. Uh, I, I know you're looking for lots of different uses for soybeans, probably hay. That's probably not your, the top of your priority. You'd probably <laughs> rather have a, a yield, a whole bunch of bushels and use those bushels for things. Yeah, we, we, you know, the hay crop is always, it's always hard to pull the trigger on that when you want to go hay with soybeans, but you know, you got to go back to the 1920s and 30s and that's what soybeans was originally brought in for was for forage crops. So, uh, but now with the new uses we got and everything else that uh, we keep trying to, to move, I mean, we want that grain to, to be there and, and um, yeah, just try to get as much out of the miracle bean as we can. There's a lot of excitement around soybeans with the new world record this year and guys saying, wow, there's there's more possible than I ever thought with beans. Uh, what are you seeing? I guess I, you guys have to be hearing a lot of that buzz, too, that farmers are pretty excited about beans right now. They are, and I think the, the, the diversity that we have, I mean, all the different technology we have on the beans and the options we have and, and uh, you know, the price doesn't hurt, but, you know, all those new innovations that are coming up is helping the price up and and, uh, you know, the farmers themselves are the ones who pat themselves on the back because with all the uh, the uh, checkoff and, and all of the work that they're doing themselves uh, is what's making this possible. So there's tons of uh, different varieties. And uh, we were just at a meeting this uh, this week and some of the new things that are hitting the, uh, you know, the research is coming. A lot of, a lot of the uh, states are looking at different types of researches and it's, it's an interesting time to see what people are dreaming up. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. New traits are coming. Uh, certainly, we're seeing uh, a lot of improvement on soybean varieties now with more. Uh, I found a few root knot nematode varieties for the guys in the south. We're seeing more Peking nematode resistance uh, for guys really all over. Got HT4 soybeans just a couple, two, three years away. And of course, lots of new uses for the beans as well. Really appreciate all the work that you do, Charles, uh, not only on your farm, but, but for all of us soybean growers too. Thanks for being on today. I really appreciate it. You bet. It's a pleasure. If there's one more thing I can tell you, sure. you know, we got an opportunity to really see farmers in, in action. And, and we had a serious illness that happened in our family. You know what? We had neighbors step up and help us harvest this year. And that, that is just what it's all about. And man, we just uh, pour our hearts out to those guys that helped. And, and, you know, we'd all do the same. So it's, it's great to be in agriculture. Absolutely. Thank you, Charles. Really appreciate it. And have a great uh, Christmas season coming up. You bet. You guys too. Thank you. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Good morning and hallelujah. Watch it. My spray and pray days are over. What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. And Yeah, he ordered that new battalion amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. 
This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battaliamamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest-lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kochia, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. It takes balance to be successful in farming, because what you get out of it depends on what you put in, and Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. Stay in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio, and we're broadcasting for the Morton Studio today, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. Or, of course, you can do both. You can send us an email with your soil test information and then call in to ask some questions like Kale just did from Indiana. How are you doing, Kale? Not bad. How about you guys? Pretty good, pretty good. Okay, looking at soil tests here for you from, from one field. We've got kind of some lighter soil, uh, silty loam, only a CEC of around five. And then uh, when I look at the P&K, Brian, this is like your kind of soil test, other than that it doesn't have all the nutrients we'd like to see. P&K are, are represented here in pounds per acre. That's that's kind of oh, neat. Yeah, when you said my kind of soil test, I wondered where you were going with this. So, But anyway, Kale, what are your, what are your questions here on your soil test? Well, just assume I have no idea what I'm looking at here. <laughs> um, Fair enough. I know I've, I've, I've just started kind of, I, I started farming not, you know, less than a decade ago, and I just kind of sure. go by what my 
uh, fertilizer guy recommends, yep. and I've seen with him today. Yep. Uh, I asked him about sulfur, and within the last, I don't know, five years anyways, we haven't been putting on any sulfur, and I, I realized through watching you guys' uh, videos and podcasts and whatnot, sulfur is kind of a big deal, and I know it, it doesn't is. show on this soil test, but like, yep. given what little information I have here in this soil test, um, give maybe a recommendation for sulfur, and then just the, just the other basic uh, uh, nutrients as well to put in yeah. for corn next year. Okay. So when I look at your soil test, here's what I see. First of all, five cation exchange capacity. That is very sandy ground. You're not going to be able to hold a whole lot of anything, especially the nutrients we consider leachable, like nitrate, sulfate, and boron. So, I, I, I mean, you don't even necessarily, in that light of soil, have to test nitrate, sulfate, and boron. Because your odds of holding any are going to be pretty low. Now, I still like testing. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying I'm probably going to be fertilizing every single year and multiple times per year with these leachable nutrients. So if there's irrigation, I'm throwing a little bit in every time I irrigate. And if I don't have irrigation, I'm praying for rain constantly, number one. And two, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I'm somehow or another going to be split applying the, the leachables, nitrate, sulfate, boron. Potassium is somewhat leachable in sandy soil like that. So your potassium levels and phosphorus levels are low. You need more potassium. I'd be putting some on at the start of the season. I'd be putting some on probably mid-season. Phosphorus, on the other hand, just like zinc and copper, two micronutrients that you don't have listed here, phosphorus, zinc, and copper, they are pretty stable even in light soil like that. So I'm going to work on building my soil up. We like seeing at least 100 pounds of phosphorus out there typically, but I don't have any real information on what crop you're raising, yield goal, any of that kind of stuff. But I'll just tell you, if it was me and I'm going for halfway decent corn or bean yields, I'm going to have at least 100 pounds of phosphorus out there and preferably 200. So it's one of those things where, and I'm not saying you have to hit all my targets right now that I would shoot for in my farm, but I am saying you, you can feel pretty confident when you invest money in phosphorus and potassium, sulfur, nitrogen, and boron, that it's going to pay a pretty decent return here because your levels are, are pretty low. They're always going to be low on those leachables, but even on the P and the K, they're pretty low where we stand right now. So I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at what crop am I raising? I'll pull up the, the, the charts because there are charts on these, or we've got a, a free app for this too. So you can just download the free Ag PhD fertilizer removal app. If you would like, you punch in whatever crop you're going to raise and your yield goal, and it will tell you how much how much fertility does that crop need? So I'm I'm going to start there, and then I'm going to maybe work on a little bit of a build program, at least with my phosphorus, my zinc, my, my copper. Um, but, yeah, I'd like to see a complete soil test. That's probably the biggest thing. And then one last thing that I'll mention just from looking at this without having any other information, your pH is just a little on the low side, not bad. What you're looking for is that column that says PHW. That stands for water, P, 
pH, and that should be, you usually want that in the sixes for almost every crop there is. Well, you have some spots that are a little bit on the low side. You're just into the fives, like five nine, five eight, something like that. So I'd throw just a little splash of lime out there in some spots, uh, but you sure don't need much in that light soil, and your pH will go up. Any other questions that you've got? Does that kind of hit most of what you're looking for for now? Well, I guess I was kind of wondering about some specific numbers, but if you say I can get that sure. information off of your uh, your removal app, um, yes. that gives me a, a starting point anyways. Yes, and so have you already had the conversation with the fertilizer dealer, or do you have to go talk to them yet today? Um, I got a meeting next week for that. Oh, okay, okay. I was just asking asking simple questions oh, yeah. because I didn't know what some even some of these... Uh, Acro- uh, not acronyms, but uh, yeah, uh, abbreviations are you know, for what, what the what the chart abbreviations. Are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What that what yeah. What, so what for. yeah, so all the ones that start with P E R, that's percent, and that's the base saturation test. So you've got percent base saturation K, calcium, magnesium, and hydrogen, and so those are those are big ones that we're going to look at. That's basically telling you the balance of nutrients in your soil, and so like on potassium on that K, we like seeing a minimum of four percent. But when you have really sandy soil, we probably want that up a lot closer to 8%. So that's where we see immediately, before I even look at your pounds per acre or anything, I see, ooh, we're out of balance just a little bit. So we want to get our potassium up a little bit and then kind of go from there. And also with the hydrogen, we typically want that 10% or less. That means that our soil pH should be around 6.3 or above. Now, if it's just a little bit higher than than 10% on the percent uh, base saturation hydrogen, it's fine. It's no real big deal. So yeah, now I, I'm, and so sorry, I'm kind of going into a few more details and you maybe needed there, but I, I just say, yeah, you got to get some phosphorus out there, some potassium, and you know that you're going to need nitrogen, sulfur, and boron because of your light soil. But then I'm serious. I would test in the future a more, a little more complete test. So I get the micronutrients too, because I don't know how you're doing on copper or zinc, iron, manganese, things like that. Yep. And then uh, one last question. Sure. Um, besides, uh, besides, sorry, besides Neil Kinsey's book and yep. uh, some of the stuff that you have out there, is there anything you <laughs> recommend as general reading to study in for a, nut, uh, a guy to learn about this kind of thing? Hmm. Darren, do you have anything else? Um, so other than Neil Kinsey's book and the stuff that we put out, is there anything else you'd suggest for learning about this soil stuff? I, I don't I don't really have anything and not that we know everything or we're the only source a person should go to, but I will put it this way. Uh, so both Darren and I went to college for four years each and a lot of times when you're trying to learn out of the book, you're trying to learn from even a college professor, they're super smart. And I felt like they're talking above my level all the time. What we try to do at Ag PhD is talk in normal farmer terms. That's why Darren said he liked pounds per acre on the soil test. That's what, that's what we understand as farmers, not parts per million and this percent and all this other stuff. We understand pounds. Tell me how many pounds I need. I put the pounds on. I want to keep it simple. So that's what we try to do with our stuff. So we've got a lot of information out there about soils, and we have a soils clinic coming up this winter. And, yeah, the Neil Kinsey stuff is really good, too, because he talks a lot about just balance of nutrients in the soil. And here's the thing, too. If you read Kinsey's book, 
Um, like for me, I highlighted all the things in there that I really liked when I first read this years ago. And then I put all those things, I typed it into a Word document. So then I review it from time to time, or I did for quite a while, just so I could really learn what I thought were the key points. But where I'm going with this is sometimes we have to read it, reread it, reread it before it soaks in, and then try some stuff on your farm. Because the, the biggest thing that I'm going to tell anybody is your farm is a little bit unique compared to anybody else's, and you really want to test things on your farm. Try stuff out and go a little crazy on just a few acres. So, you know, go overboard on phosphorus, go overboard on potassium on a few acres and see what happens and go from there. And you're going to learn a lot just when you test those things on your farm. Hey, Kale, good luck. Thanks a lot for the questions. If you've got more questions in the future, just give us a call or send us an email. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You bet. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. The hardworking, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plans, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses, maybe even increase your yields? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're holding our Ag PhD Soils Clinic on Tuesday, January 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the single most important day you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at FarmShopMFG.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. 
Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we got John on right now down in Kansas thinking about uh, residual herbicides for fallow times. How you doing, John? Pretty good. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Okay, explain this fallow time. Uh, we were kind of wondering about that. Is it a full year? Is it just for a few months? How much time you got? All right. So our general rotation out here where we're at, we do wheat, sorghum, or corn, or feed stuff, and then the following year will be fallow all year. What okay. we started doing a couple years ago is a spring cover crop, so that's getting planted in April, and then we'll terminate it in June. Uh, it's a cool season cover, so we got oats and peas and stuff in there. Terminate it into May, beginning of June, before things go to seed. And so what I'm thinking of doing is running some zidua at that time and then possibly husky in july uh for some residual out there so i don't have to keep burning down uh any weeds that come along throughout the rest of the summer yep we think that's probably a pretty good idea darren and i were talking about if it was more short term we like sharpen uh prepare would be another thing that you could potentially throw in there because it's really inexpensive you're talking probably four dollars an acre uh, so that could even be thrown in with a Zidua Husky. Uh, so Anthem Flex is probably the product we would use along with Husky. So that gives you this, the active ingredient in Zidua along with the burndown product AIM. So um, Anthem Flex is probably what we would do. But anyway, having that Husky in there, Bucktrill is just a burndown product, but it's that HPPD that will give you residual for quite a while. So Anyway, yeah, we're we're with you, and I I, I I was wondering the same thing. If you were going to go for quite a few months, if you shouldn't be throwing a group 15 out there just because, I, I mean, hey, you're going to break a lot of stuff down in with all your heat down in Kansas and everything. I'm not worried about any kind of um, carryover or anything like that going into wheat with that Zidua. You're going to be just fine. So, no, I think you're certainly on the right track there. And it's a challenge keeping those weeds down because, you know, with almost any of these herbicides, I don't care what crop we're talking about. You know what the number one thing we usually talk to farmers we work directly with? It's, hey, let's get a, get our crop up and growing as fast as possible so we can shade the rows so the herbicide doesn't have to do as much work. These herbicides, we like them. They're good, but they don't last forever. So hopefully this will uh, will help you out and reduce some of your need to continue to go out there and keep spraying and stuff. Uh, but it's I, I, it's not going to be perfect. But, yeah, I, I think those are about the best things you can do. Zidua is a very long-lasting group 15. The HPPD in Husky will last quite a while. Like I say, the only other thing I would consider throwing in there would be maybe Prepare because it's really inexpensive. But Prepare is also an ALS herbicide. So if you're after things like Palmer and Waterhemp and Kochia that are ALS resistant, it's not going to do you any good. What what are you, What is your number one yeah. target weed? You nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yep. Kochia... Kosha and the Palmer pigweed. Yep. Uh, 
really the kochia we can kind of control decent yet the palmer pigweed is just been a nightmare yep burn it down and it comes back and you burn it down and it comes back yep yeah so i it's even got to the point where it's we struggle to kill it with tillage sometimes if you get some real humid days it doesn't even want to die uh so yeah that's the cover crops have helped, and if we nail the timing on the burn down, yeah, um, keeps the shade shaded. Yep, it it helps, and you maybe only have to run one or two burn downs. But yeah, I was just that was where my thoughts were, and I just wanted to get some more confirmation. Yep, so. yep, yep. So no, I think you're absolutely on the right track. So let me just ask you this: You talked about okay, we're going to raise crops for two years, and then we're going to go fallow. I'm going to assume you've tried continuous cropping where you actually put a crop in that fallow year. So it, that fallow year is seeming to help for your, your future crops, and it is paying by doing that? Yes. Now, if the last few years we've been in a drought, Yep. and yes, you got to have the fallow year or you should really struggle. Yeah. If we get wet again where we start getting some wetter years, yeah, you could go continuous crop and make it work. Sure. So it's it's very rainfall dependent. Yep. Yep, we're with you. All right. Well, um, good luck, John. Hopefully you do get some rain this year and then you don't have to worry so much about this. But uh, but otherwise, yeah, like we say, we're, we absolutely think you're on the right track. Getting a group 15 like Zidua and, and something that's got an HPPD for more residual on that end of the spectrum. So you got two effective modes of action on your two main target weeds. That's uh, That's about as much as you can do. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. You bet. Yep. Good luck. Thanks for calling. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, a little different situation out in the state of California with how things are done. We got Steve with us who farms out there. How you doing, Steve? Good guys, how are you? Great, great. Yeah, work never stops for you in California. We got this nice little thing called winter here that we get a little break from all the field work. <laughs> what are you guys working on right now? Uh harvesting citrus every day, seven days a week. So yeah, it's it's 65, 70 degrees here and harvesting uh, navels, lemons, and and uh, and uh, clementines right now. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so when do you do fertilization in those crops? Is that just an ongoing constant thing or is this something where, hey, as soon as we get stuff off, we can start building things up for next year? Yeah, well, uh, as soon as we harvest, we'll, we'll come in with a foyer shot and kind of give them all a little perk up because they'll start blooming and in late February, early March, and then we need to make sure that we get a good bloom to get a good set. So we will do that, and then once they start growing an, an actual fruit, we we feed them every week, and then shut them down about September or so because you don't want a lot of nitrogen in the in the in the fruit. You know, it, it uh, won't sugar up as well. So you kind of shut all your fertilizer off in eh, late August, early September, and kind of drift through. You do a couple of your shots of some micros but other than that you just kind of just let the plant go through its cycle and, and mature the fruit talk to us about those citrus crops and is that all hand harvested or are there machines involved how's that work steve 100 percent hand harvested you harvested uh people with ladders and uh forklift drivers and and all put in plastic bins Wow. Yeah, that is a lot of work, no doubt about that. Uh, so where does citrus go from, from your farm then? Do you market that to, to big food companies? Are there some buyers in your area? How does it work? 
it, we contract with a large fruit company, and they all they ship all over the world. I mean, a lot of a uh, lot of our fruit recently is going to Korea, so we we've got to make sure that we it's got to be checked for phytos, and it's got to be you know, have certain products applied to it, like copper, to make sure that uh, there's nothing going over to Korea. So that's certain requirements by the country, but a lot of ours goes to Korea and Japan. Wow. Um, and then all over the United States. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, there's there's a, a number of different crops I know you raise, and, and right now, seven days a week working on citrus, uh, it's probably good the other stuff is all done, so you have the time to do that. Yeah, the other stuff, we just finished planting wheat yesterday. We do we do some, you know, as a rotation, we use wheat, and then uh, finished planting garlic about two weeks ago, and I got got some seed crops planted in the last few weeks, a little bit of onion seed crops and some brassica seed crops. So, yeah, I mean, the citrus deal is, is uh, it keeps us busy right now, but it's, you know, it's, it's all outside labor. So we're not real involved because the, 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 the shipper, shipper controls the labor crews. So I've got a lot of other things going on, just trying to get things ready for next year, going through, through schedules and working on fertilizer budgets and, working with the cannery, the tomato cannery to find out how many acres we're going to, we're actually going to grow for next year and just kind of those types of things this time of year. Yep. Uh, where does citrus fall in your uh, profitability of crops? Is that one of the more profitable ones this year or, or is that a tough year for citrus? I think this year should be a nice year. Last year was a little tough this year. One problem we had and is that, uh, we had a real bad thrips year. Thrips, thrips will scar the outside of the citrus fruit. And um, doesn't do anything to the quality of the internal part of it. It's just the external part of it that, that gets a little bit of scarring. And I, you know, I, I don't, we don't farm on the east side of the San Joaquin Valley, but we farm on the west side of the San Joaquin Valley. So I don't know if they had a worse thrips here over there. I know they had a bad year. Um, but the amount that they're taking for export from us is, uh, you know, it means that they must have a lot of scarred fruit. Yeah, always something to watch out for. Hey, Steve, thank you so much. Really appreciate you being on today, even though you're super, super busy with the citrus harvest. Good luck to you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You have a lot at stake when it comes to raising corn. I'm Darren Hefty. That's why on Wednesday, January 17th, we're holding a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll help you navigate all the challenges of corn production, including how to manage exploding pest populations, resistant diseases, fertility challenges, and more. It's a day packed with information. So if you want to get the most out of your corn this season, don't miss the free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop. Register now at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit mybayerplus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. 
Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Dan with us right now out in Colorado. How's it going, Dan? Great. It's going great out here. A little dry, but that's okay. You know what? Uh, we're going to get some moisture. It's going to turn around at some point. When you guys get moisture, is it mostly snow, or do you actually get some rain out in Colorado too sometimes? You know, usually we're pretty dry here in December and February. We don't actually get a lot of snow most years, but, you know, we'll get some little three, four, five-inch ones occasionally that kind of keep us going. You bet. So what's the and, game plan? And very little rain. What's the game plan going into next year then? Let's uh, let's say that, you know what, it looks like next year is going to be a normal year for weather. You're going to get some timely rains. What What would you like to do? Well, you know, our wheat crop that we planted this fall looks pretty good. So I think, you know, obviously we saw a lot of certified seed and, uh, uh, you know, just good weather on it would be beautiful. I mean, stands are good so far. You know, we'll probably have about the same amount of, of corn, both irrigated and dry land that we normally have. Uh, you know, I don't see a lot of things changing around our area a whole lot, I think. Sure, sure. Uh, I know for, for growers in our area, winter wheat, we just love to get some snow on that and cover it up to, yep. to protect it from the tough conditions. Man, you guys get some wind out there. You get pretty cold in Colorado, too. Uh, hopefully that snow comes soon. Yeah, you know, we've had a couple nice little ones, about six-inch ones that were decently wet here in the last over the last 45 days. But, uh, yeah, really we could use some before we start getting really windy in February and March. Kind of what, get this stuff tied down a little bit. You know, when you look at the corn crop, uh, that dryland corn doesn't like these drought kind of years. But what can you get out of dryland corn if you have a decent year? So we've had, you know, in, a, in an average year here, we're talking, oh, 75 bushel corn probably, you know, but uh, not like Midwest yields. But we also don't plant or put near as much of the inputs in as normal. So 75 is a, you know, that's a money-making crop. 
Okay. Uh, but you can, we've grown 125, 130 under irrigate, or dry land conditions before, too. So the top end is pretty high if we get a little moisture. Yeah. All yeah. depends on August. It's like Midwest and soybeans. It all depends on August for us. When you, when you look at the irrigation, are you limited on water? Is that changing or is it kind of the same as it's been now for quite a while? There are some areas around us that are, yeah, are getting a little more limited. Uh, we're lucky. Most our wells are, are very strong yet. But I think you're going to see that change. You know, the next 20, 25 years is definitely going to change irrigated agriculture in northeast Colorado. Yeah, no doubt about that. There's there's different challenges in every area, and I know irrigation water. People people see that out there, and there's certainly towns that are growing, and, and you've got the same thing going on in Colorado. you get some pretty big yep. population areas that, that are demanding a lot of the resources, no doubt. Yep. Yeah, and the, just the water levels, you know, have been pumped hard in some areas. Maybe they were a little shallower to start with. But, uh, uh, you know, I, and I think there'll be some changes. You'll see crop rotation changes, maybe out of corn, into some wheat, into some maybe even a couple guys now even plant some grass for their cattle, you know, and they'll go two or three years on the grass, not watering it much, just to save water. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. Well, Dan, thank it's you. Gonna, so- it's going to be all over the board. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much for chatting with us a little bit today. Hopefully the moisture situation yeah. improves coming up soon. Well, anytime. You guys have a Merry Christmas. You bet. Merry Christmas to you as well. Let's head down to Missouri. Got Danny on with us right now. How's it going, Danny? Pretty good. How are you doing today? We are doing well. We are doing well. Uh, you know, I sure like to have a little warmer weather this week to get a little more done outside before the, the real cold uh, months start kicking in. What's going on down in Missouri? Well, uh, we we were mostly dry this year, but uh, in the fall we we've, we've gotten quite a bit of rain. But during the growing season, um, it was very spotty rain. But uh, my brother and I have been disagree uh, disagreement on a question. I was hopefully that you. Oh, I can I can this. sympathize with that, Danny. I've got a brother that's generally <laughs> wrong too. Well, I I understand that. Um, we're we're on a bean bean corn rotation. And in this year, and we generally put on about 150 pounds of anhydrous uh, because that's all our capacity we can hold in our soil. Uh, this year, when we got rain on the 1st of August, we had fantastic corn yields, you know, 220, 230. Wow. Uh, which our average is like 150, 145. But where our, you know, where we didn't get the rain on August 1st, you know, it was a lot lower than that. Which brings the question is, okay, if you're at roughly a pound of nitrogen per bushel of corn, where did the extra nitrogen come to produce that corn? And my opinion is, I I know you got some carryover on the nitrogen from the beans, that it is stored in the ground, uh, in the dirt. But my brother disagrees with that wholeheartedly and says he does not have an answer on where the extra nitrogen comes along for that extra bushels on corn. It's magic. It's it's magic, Danny. You know, it, it's all smoke <laughs> and mirrors with all of us farmers. So yeah, no, that it's it's two things. It's carryover nitrogen number one, and it's organic matter mineralization number two. So the carryover easy. We can all understand that. The organic matter mineralization, here's kind of how that works. The more organic matter you have in your soil, the more nitrogen is going to get released for free every year. 
also phosphorus and sulfur will release a little bit too. So I'll tell you that the, the numbers we use ourselves, and I don't know what your numbers ended up being, but we usually figure for every 1% of soil organic matter, we're going to get roughly 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen, 4 to 7 pounds of phosphate, and 2 to 3 pounds of sulfur. So if I have 5% organic matter, for example, and we do have that in some of our fields, we figure that every year for free, we're going to get 100 to 150 pounds of nitrogen out of that. So it's very significant. But, but if it does not rain, you do not capital, you don't realize that, do you? Um, you might. So the, the thing is, and I'll tell you a story quick to illustrate this. So we were working with a farmer, uh, probably, this is probably six, seven years ago. He was at one of our meetings. He comes up to me afterwards and he goes, Brian, uh, the university here, uh, and this is at one, one of these Midwestern states here, he goes, the university is running this test with me in my tiled ground. And he said, you won't believe the results. And I said, well, tell me. He goes, he, the university is telling me I'm putting way too much nitrogen on. So what we did is we put no nitrogen on, we put normal rate, and we put double rate, and we wanted to track how much nitrogen was coming out of the tile lines. And he said, where we got the most nitrogen coming out of the tile lines is where we put on no nitrogen. And it's like, and the university was stunned. He was stunned. And I go, yeah, it makes complete sense because your crop didn't get off to a good start. It's not pulling anything in. It doesn't, it's not growing well. And now the nitrogen comes available later in the season from this organic matter mineralization. My point here, Danny, is your soil is still going to be releasing that nitrogen late in the year with or without rain. It's just a question of, are you getting the other nutrients in? Are you are you getting decent growth? Everything else? We have to have rain. So you're dead on that, hey, if we don't have rain, we're not going to have yield. I, I get that. Everybody gets that. But the nitrogen's still going to be there in that soil. So that's why sometimes after a drought year, a lot of times we see really good yields and guys go, I wonder what the heck happened there. I say, look, you had a lot of carryover nutrients from last year, number one, especially like the soil organic matter. It broke down nitrogen, phosphorus, sulfur, and now it was ready to go in an available form for your next crop. So anyway, that's where the nitrogen came from. I, I, there's a big range too on how much can come out of that soil. Depends a lot on heat, somewhat on moisture, a lot on microbial activity. So a lot of things go into that. Uh, so it can vary tremendously is where I'm going with this, but that's where the nitrogen came from to get you your yield. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, these older brothers, they think they know everything. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Danny, I can agree with that. Danny, you know how we, you know, though, how we solve problems on our farm or questions, we always say, well, let's prove it out in the field. Now, this is kind of a speculative question on where something came from. But when Darren and I have any disagreement on, well, we think, I think we should do it one way. He thinks we should do it another way. We just say, hey, let's test them both in the field. And honestly, I, I'm, I, I'm not so proud that I, I say, if Darren has a better idea, let's go with that. Because I look at it as if he has a better idea, I'll go with it because then I make more money. So I don't care if Darren's right or I'm right, whatever. I just want our farm to do better. Anyway, hey, Danny, thanks for calling. Hope you have a great Christmas season here. You too. Thank you guys both. You bet. And there are a lot of questions on nitrogen. Uh, we, I had actually had a couple more of them queued up here, Brian, just in, in case we had more time to answer more questions here. 
Nitrogen is one a lot of people ask about. I would just encourage you to do some more measurements on your farm. Uh, we see a lot of soil tests that come in without nitrate nitrogen on them. I'd love to see where we're at because uh, some years it may surprise you. There could be a lot more than you were expecting. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.